They say the more things change, the more things stay the same. And that is certainly true when it comes to Bitcoin. Every year they say this time is different. Every cycle they say this time is different. And yet here we are. And while history doesn't necessarily repeat, it certainly does seem to rhyme. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. you sexy sat stackers and welcome to the latest episode of the bitcoin bulletin podcast the sbf indictment watch continues bitcoin's price is down a little bit uh, although pretty much right in that 16 to 17 thousand dollar price range that it's been in for more than a month now and the similarities keep stacking up between this bear market and the previous bear markets so while they say that this time is different every year the old adage that while history doesn't repeat it certainly does rhyme is certainly holding true but real quick a look at the vital statistics today is wednesday december 7th 2022 in the united states that's pearl harbor day but it's also dca wednesday and we find ourselves at a block height of 766,329. Bitcoin is currently valued at 16,820 US dollars per Bitcoin or 5,945 sats per cuckbuck. Bitcoin's market capitalization is currently ringing in at $323.4 billion, down just a couple billion from last week. But again, in that 317 to 325 billion dollar range that Bitcoin has been stuck at since the beginning of November, at least since the beginning of November. If you value your wealth in gold, it will cost you 9.1 ounces of the shiny yellow rocks to purchase just one Bitcoin. And if you value your wealth in oil, it will cost you 215.58 barrels of oil to purchase just one Bitcoin at a price of 463,828 sats per barrel. And if you value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin is going to currently score you 996 Papa John's pizzas back under the thousand pizza mark, uh, but still pretty darn close to the thousand pizza mark that we've been at again since the beginning of November. Uh, the mempool had been clear pretty much all day uh, until just a little while ago, and it's currently looking like there's four blocks worth of transactions pending in my mempool, uh, but again, uh, there was less than one block pending not too terribly long ago. So while they say that it will cost you approximately 14 sats per byte to guarantee that your on-chain transaction is included in the next block, one sat per byte transactions are estimated to still clear within a day, probably in just a few hours, uh, when that mempool tends to clear back out uh, during the nighttime in when it's night in the United States and Europe, the on-chain activity seems to drop off, which is kind of funny because one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later is exactly how much of the Bitcoin activity is taking place in Africa. 
but uh, I guess Africa shares a uh, large portion of its time zones with Europe as well. So, uh, so never mind. <laughs> That transaction metric that you know I like to follow, the 24-hour transaction rate, is humming along at 3.32 transactions per second, which is a pretty healthy amount of on-chain activity, especially considering so much Bitcoin activity now takes place on the Lightning Network. Uh, and again, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, that also ties into that Africa news that I was going to talk about. Since we met last time, in fact, just the other day, we had a mining difficulty adjustment, and it was a big one. Bitcoin's mining adjusted downward 7.3%. That is not the largest difficulty adjustment we've ever seen, but it is fairly significant. As you know, Bitcoin adjusts its mining difficulty every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks, to try and ensure that a new block is found on average every 10 minutes. Currently, we are 1,767 blocks away from the next difficulty adjustment. That is just under two weeks, looking like it's going to be on December 20th. And it is still way too early to tell, but depending on where you get your data, it's looking like it will be a slight increase, anywhere from a half a percent to 2%. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 45 seconds. But again, we just had a difficulty adjustment, so... I wouldn't put too much weight. I wouldn't give too much weight to uh, those estimates uh, at this point in time. As I mentioned, the price of Bitcoin is down just a little bit today, uh, just a little bit from last Wednesday as well, although it had bumped uh, a little bit between episodes. So kind of the neat thing about dollar cost averaging is it does help smooth those prices out. I know I've mentioned this before that, you know, if you're looking at the price on a zoomed out, perspective, the prices are nowhere near as volatile as if you're following daily or constantly staring at those price charts. And the neat thing about those price charts is that if you look at the one-year chart, we are past the point of where, you know, you have to stare at the at the avalanche down from the all-time high. It's been longer than a year since the all-time high. So the one-year chart is starting to look a little better uh, as that huge spike in the, and the, that almost 80% drawdown uh, will start smoothing out and disappearing in terms of the one-year chart and hopefully descending uh, towards the new bull run instead of you know plunging into the abyss when you stare at the charts. And speaking of which, Tone Vase was asked if the bottom was in yet on yesterday's episode of the Cafe Bit Bitcoin podcast. And I, I, I have to chuckle when they asked him because uh, if you remember the last bear market, the the meme song, the Bitcoin, please go to moon. I know I've referenced it before, but the line, the line was Tone Vase says we're going down to 1K, but Mr. Novogratz says we've bottomed out. And that's because Tone Vase, when Bitcoin had done that second big, huge capitulation down, into the $3,000 range was saying that Bitcoin was probably going to drop all the way to 1000 And of course it did not. And true to form, Toneways says that we're going to have another major capitulation before we hit the bottom, uh, most likely anyway. So uh, if history repeats and Toneways is, you know, the uber bear again, uh, maybe we are at a bottom. Um, and if not, I guess Toneways will be right this time. And then we'll stack even cheaper sats. So I guess it really doesn't matter 
uh, as long as you're dollar cost averaging, you're going to get those, you know, those cheap sats. American Hoddle was on, I don't remember what podcast American Hoddle was on just a couple of days ago. And he pointed out that, you know, anytime Bitcoin is under $20,000, it's a good time to buy Bitcoin. And I would say that anytime Bitcoin is under the previous all-time high, uh, it's a spectacular time to buy Bitcoin. But if you're dollar cost averaging, you don't have to worry about any of that because as they say, time in the markets beats time in the markets every time it's tried. And that's why we're here to dollar cost average. Um, but again, before we get into our DCA stack, uh, a little bit more of the news. And speaking of podcasts, Matt O'Dell was on Cedric Youngleman's podcast uh, the other day. And that was kind of fun because we always hear Matt's opinions on Bitcoin. And he's, you know, super heavy duty into privacy. And he's he's kind of the, the tech half of the of the you know, the rabbit hole recap duo. But in this case, we got to hear a really interesting dive into his pre-Bitcoin past. Apparently, and this shouldn't surprise anybody, he was an old-fashioned prepper and he was mentioning that, you know, when the outbreak first happened, he went down into his old basement and he had already stacked hundreds and hundreds of N95 masks and World War II gas masks, etc. as part of his old-school prepper days. Uh, and of course, he gave us his usual sage advice for surviving the bear market, naturally staying humble and stacking sats, but uh, adding as adding accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible while surviving. And you plan for the worst and hope for the best. And you come out the other side with more Bitcoin than you went in. And that's what I've always said. The only thing that really matters isn't necessarily the price of Bitcoin, but that you're going to have more sats today than you had yesterday. And we will shortly but again, continuing along the podcast uh, with the podcast news, uh, the What Bitcoin Did podcast with Peter McCormick, I guess he didn't interview Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, for that episode. Uh, he interviewed him as part of the Texas Blockchain Summit or one of the uh, events in Texas. But he aired that interview as an episode of the Bitcoin, of his Bitcoin, What Bitcoin Did podcast. And of course... Ted Cruz is a very polarizing figure. Uh, either you love him or you hate him. I don't know anybody that said, eh, Ted Cruz is okay. Uh, there's a, Anytime his name is mentioned on Reddit, he just gets savaged, you know, with people saying, I can't believe I agree with Ted Cruz, or he may be right, but he's a blank. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment on his politics, but I can tell you that everything he said was 100% right on. Uh, he was very bullish Bitcoin. Uh, he said that he is not only a Bitcoin holder, but that he DCAs weekly into Bitcoin and that he is not an S-coiner, that his, uh, he, he kind of hedged a little bit and said he wasn't going to judge other, other cryptocurrencies because he just didn't know that much about them, but that he is Bitcoin only, at least at, as of this point. So it's a pretty interesting interview. Uh, you may or may not like Ted Cruz, but you should probably listen to what he has to say, or at least know that there is at least one more senator out there that uh, is currently at least espousing uh, what sound like Bitcoin maximalist views. All right, we mentioned in the intro that the countdown, the indictment watch, the SBF indictment watch continues. There's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not he will be arrested Many people think he won't be arrested simply because he's donated so much money to the powers that be. It turns out that he was one of, if not the largest uh, political, the largest 
political donator, the largest, uh, the most, the donated more money than anybody else in the U.S. during the, the this most recent election cycle. Uh, there are also ties, for example, the CEO of his hedge fund that was intertwined with FTX. Uh, Carolyn is the daughter of the of a person that was formerly, I believe, Gary Gensler's boss or worked really closely with Gary Gensler when he was a professor at MIT. Uh, and so there's uh, speculation that maybe SBF has some favor with Gary Gensler that he is going to go soft on him or ignore uh, his misdeeds because of connections. I've uh, read a post on numerous posts on Twitter that were also indicating that uh, he had had other more favorable in interactions with uh, SBF recently that were that were worrisome as well. However, um, I'm not willing to say that justice will not prevail. Sometimes these things take a long time. A lot of people were noting how quickly Bernie Madoff was arrested, uh, you know, when his Ponzi scheme collapsed. But uh, usually these things take time. And, uh, and a more recent example to point to would be the, you know, the uh, Therano, Theranos, uh, Elizabeth Holmes deal. I mean, she just got sentenced to prison, what, a week ago. So these things can take time. Also, people were speculating that maybe SBF has not been arrested simply because he's in the Bahamas and extradition would be a problem. But uh, I can tell you for factual experience that extradition from the Bahamas is super easy for the United States. And even if he had, even if SBF had pumped enough money into the, the people in political office in the Bahamas that they might drag their feet on approving an extradition, you know, if the United States wanted to extradite SBF, it would be really, really easy uh, for the U.S. to pressure the Bahamas into doing so. I mean, for example, all they'd have to do is just say, hey, if you don't turn them over, no cruise ships are going to be able to dock in the Bahamas until you do so. And that would, of course, cripple the Bahamas. And there's no way in, in there's no way we'd ever have to do that because even just the hint uh, of, of something along those lines and they would turn him over to us, uh, no problemo. There are also other ways for the United States to get their hands on SBF, some of them a little extrajudiciously, but it's not like it hasn't been done before. The United States has been known to render suspects, uh, basically snatch them and kidnap them and uh, and and it not always take them to the to to the United States, but they you know may end up in a country that's friendly to the United States or a country that's friendly to the United States might be the one that snatches them for us. Uh, but I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. I think eventually he will be indicted and he will be extradited. And uh, this whole, you know, daytime soap opera, uh, all this speculation is maybe entertaining, but uh, it doesn't really matter in the long run. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Along the lines of, of government action or inaction, a lot of speculation has been swirling around about what the government's going to do in response to the FTX collapse or perhaps using the collapse of FTX simply as an excuse to try and regulate, control, or squash Bitcoin. And I've got multiple points of thought on this. The first, of course, is that I don't think the United States government has any interest in banning Bitcoin whatsoever, even if they could. I think the United States is more interested in profiting from Bitcoin than banning it. 
Even if Bitcoin were to become just a better version of gold, uh, even massively larger than than gold, but simply a commodity, something that they can that they can rent sake, something that politicians can you know get their fingers, their tentacles around as far as uh, taxing or currying favor with Bitcoin related companies by you know pressuring or seeking political donations and contributions. Uh, I think that's, that's, whenever the government sees a large pot of money, the first thing it thinks of is how do we get a part of that? Not necessarily how do we make it go away? Just even like if you look at tobacco, they had the huge tobacco settlement years ago and people were saying they needed to to outlaw tobacco because, you know, it causes lung cancer, et cetera. And what did the government do? Well, they took a huge, gigantic settlement from the tobacco companies and then you kind of haven't heard any government action against tobacco uh, whatsoever ever since. Because again, uh, and that was something they could easily have squashed. Maybe not um, maybe not gotten rid of because we know prohibition doesn't work with anything. But uh, they, again, had no intention to make tobacco illegal or to kill the big tobacco companies, those horrible evil companies that you don't even think of anymore. Uh, they just wanted a piece of the pie and they got it. So I think that would be their intention with Bitcoin. That being said, to stop hyper-Bitcoinization, they don't need to outlaw Bitcoin. They just need to knock the top off every four years. You know, in order for hyper-Bitcoinization to occur, most people think that, you know, it needs to achieve escape velocity. We have what the the ultra super bull run where instead of just 10 or 20 Xing, it just keeps going up into the right forever. And eventually uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But in order to stop or try and stop hyper-Bitcoinization, all the government really needs to do is FUD the snot out of the bull run. And if they're successful in tapering off the bull run, in flattening the curve, uh, and, you know, in keeping hyper-Bitcoinization from occurring just through FUD or fear, then, uh, then of course, then they have two or three years of bear market or sideways market before the next bull run when they don't have to worry about it at all. So that being said, I think uh, we've already seen the U.S. government attack Bitcoin and how they're going to attack Bitcoin. And that attack was they tax the snot out of it. Anytime you do a Bitcoin transaction, you have to you know report your capital gains taxes, your sale price and your purchase price, your average cost basis for every tiny little Satoshi. Uh, and just making dif- just just making life difficult for Bitcoiners is good enough for the U.S. government to achieve, or at least they will they think it's good enough to achieve to achieve their means. And I think that's more. If we see a further crackdown on Bitcoin or on the quote unquote crypto market, I think we're just going to see more of that. If they really wanted to ban self custody, if they want to you know make you keep your Bitcoin on an exchange, then. Uh, you know that might fall in line with that sort of, with that sort of thing. But uh, again, they wouldn't have to say it's illegal to hold Bitcoin in your own wallet. All they have to do is make it just a royal pain in the butt, and the average person would be perfectly comfortable keeping their Bitcoin on Coinbase or whatever exchange. You know, even after the collapse of FTX and all the other spectacular uh, failures we've seen this year. The normies out there, the 80 percenters, are still comfortable keeping their Bitcoin on exchanges. I know we've seen a boatload of Bitcoin leave exchanges recently, 
But a lot of that is simply because Bitcoin is cheaper, which means when we do our DCA stack right now, we're getting a lot more Bitcoin for the same amount of US dollars as we were a year ago. And therefore, we're removing more Bitcoin from the exchanges. So I don't doubt that a lot of people are doing the proof of keys thing and that there are people that woke up and said, oh my God, I got to finally get my Bitcoin off exchanges. And by all means, you should get your Bitcoin off the exchanges. The saying is true, not your keys, not your coins. If you leave your Bitcoin on an exchange, not only do you risk losing it if the exchange collapses, but more importantly, you don't really have any sovereignty over that Bitcoin. And that's kind of the whole purpose of Bitcoin, right? Is, you know, unconsolable, unconfiscatable sovereign money. And if you're letting Coinbase have your Bitcoin, then you, you don't have that sovereignty. So get your Bitcoin off exchanges. Um, and that's all I need to say about that, right? So also in the headlines today, speaking of governments cracking down on Bitcoin, Iran has gone full Canada. No offense to any of our Canadian friends, but Iran seems to have taken a page out of the Justin Trudeau playbook. Uh, you know, they've been having incredible protests in Iran recently over the way they treat women, specifically their morality police. Uh, and they've, in addition, just to the old good old fashioned brutal crackdowns, their latest attempt at uh, at suppressing the crackdowns is basically Iranian law lawmakers are threatening to uh, crack down on those protesters by uh, seizing their bank accounts. According to uh, according to I don't remember where this article came from. Basically, says the, that uh, according to Iranian lawmaker and cleric, uh, I don't even want to try and pronounce this name because I know I'm going to butcher it and I. And that just wouldn't be fair. But according to Iranian lawmakers, uh, they were denying any rumors that they were giving an inch whatsoever. You know, just the other day it was reported that they were potentially abolishing the morality police. And the Iranian government is saying that is absolutely not the case. In fact, that they're in fact, they're going to crack down even harsher. And one of the days, ways they're going to do so on women that are not wearing the proper hijab will be a range of financial measures that will include blocking bank accounts. So once again, Bitcoin fixes this, and this wouldn't be the first time we've seen uh, Muslim women benefit from Bitcoin. If you remember when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan and Afghanistan basically went backwards as far as women's rights were concerned, the women that had been earning and working and trading in Bitcoin were suddenly some of the only people in the country that had any money that was worth anything whatsoever. Uh, there was a really great account on that, that uh, I'm spacing our name. It's been a really long day and uh, I know it's early, but it's been a long day. I've been, uh, originally I was actually planning on testing out my new studio. Eventually I may be, this is an audio only version of the podcast, but I've been assembling a studio with the intention of uh, having a little bit more professional space to record this podcast, but also maybe dabbling in video versions of the podcast or possibly doing some interviews as well. Uh, and I, even though it's fairly early, well, it's not fairly early, it's the afternoon where I'm at. Uh, I've been up since before sunrise and uh, where I'm at, it is hot and sweaty. And so I'm, I'm kind of exhausted. So I apologize for the incoherent rambling if I am rambling, and I believe I probably am. Back to Bitcoin news, though. 
The Africa Bitcoin Conference is currently underway in Africa, and that is uh, there's been some really fantastic news coming out of that conference. As you know, uh, Africa has a tremendous amount of Bitcoin use. I believe Nigeria, for example, is in the it's easily in the top ten for uh, for Bitcoin use. And I think there was a statistic out there that's saying that that Nigeria actually has more P2P Bitcoin use than anywhere else in the world. And at the Africa Bitcoin Conference, Jack Mollers announced that Strike has expanded their service to Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana, saying in an announcement, quote, people in Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana to receive money from the U.S. and instantly convert it to their local currency, which will just be absolutely fantastic as far as uh, helping the people of Africa is concerned. And that is no small thing. For example, Nigeria has 218, more than 218 million people you know, that's almost comparable to the United States. I mean, there's more like 350 million in the United States, but 215 million is a lot more than, say, the, you know, the, the less than 5 million that live in El Salvador. Uh, and, for example, if you take that 218 million figure, that means there's there's less than 0.1 BTC per Nigerian alone of the, you know, if you take the 21 million and divide it by 218 million, so uh, expanding Bitcoin access and Bitcoin use in Nigeria is not only good for Nigeria, but it's also good for Bitcoin because, you know, supply and demand, the more Bitcoiners there are, the more demand there is for Bitcoin, the more valuable your coins are going to become. And along those lines, Kenya has 53.7 million people and Ghana has another 33 million people. So even in a, a, a country, a smaller country like Ghana, there's still not enough Bitcoin for everybody in Ghana to have one Bitcoin. And of course, you know, who wouldn't like to have one whole Bitcoin when it's worth a million dollars, right? Uh, even when it's worth only 16,800 some dollars, uh, one Bitcoin is a significant chunk of change. There was another major announcement at the Africa Bitcoin conference, and that was Jack Dorsey announced a $2 million investment into a company called Gridless, which is an initiative to build Bitcoin mining sites alongside small-scale renewable energy producers in rural Africa. And this will be beneficial in multiple ways. It will help bring, Af it'll help bring energy to parts of Africa where it isn't practical or even possible to connect to the electric grid. Uh, there are many places in Africa where if you're lucky, you might have a solar panel hooked up to a battery. And by incentivizing the uh, production of electricity with Bitcoin mining, of course, you know, we've seen how that can be beneficial in the United States. For example, the Texas grid, helping stabilize the Texas grid by incentivizing Bitcoin mining to help, you know, purchase and keep excess energy capacity online. Uh, <clears throat> that will be particularly beneficial in a place like Africa that needs Bitcoin more than we do here in the United States. All right, before I wander too far, or my brain wanders all the way up to uh, intercept the Orion capsule zooming back from the moon as we speak, let's get into the reason why we're here, and that is to do our dollar cost average stack. And if you don't know what dollar cost averaging is, dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 72nd stack. We started stacking every Wednesday back on July 28th of 2021, so almost a year and a half ago. So so far we stacked 71 times. 
So our regular interval is every Wednesday. That's weekly, but uh, you can choose an interval that it works best for you. For example, most people that DCA tend to choose to DCA on paydays. So if you're paid every two weeks, maybe every two weeks can be your regular interval. Other people tend to choose to, de choose to DCA daily. Some will even DCA hourly. And there's a service out there that will even let you DCA every minute, although that seems a little excessive. Uh, but again, you do you, do your own research, pick an interval that suits you, pick an amount that suits you, and uh, and that's and that's what matters. And twenty dollars is our is our equal portion. And again, the reason we chose twenty dollars is because I wanted to show that regardless of how wealthy you are, even if you can only come up with as little as twenty dollars a week, uh, it is still worth it, and it can still build a sizable stack of satoshis over time. And so far, we've already stacked four and a half million satoshis at just twenty dollars a week. So I think that part of our thesis is already borne out. Of course, both Bitcoin and dollar cost averaging are both long-term strategies. If you do choose to you know, trade your US dollars or your local currency for Bitcoin, you should plan on holding that Bitcoin for a minimum of one full cycle, more like for 10 years or more. Of course, once you get into Bitcoin and you start becoming a Bitcoin maximalist, your timeline will, straight, will, will continue to stretch out. And eventually you'll get to the point where you won't want to even think about selling your Bitcoin at any point in time. I personally want to hold my Bitcoin and pass it on and hopefully build some generational wealth that my kids or my grandkids uh, can, can survive off of. All right, so to do that stack, as usual, we're going to use the Cash App, and Cash App is not a sponsor of this show, but I do like to use the Cash App because I think it's one of the easiest ways to stack Bitcoin if it is available to you. Strike, however, is also another awesome uh, way to stack Bitcoin, and it is now available in three more countries, so that is really cool. But again, pick an exchange or an app that you feel works best or suits your needs best. If you don't have an app chosen already and you decide that you do want to use the Cash App, there is a referral code in the show notes, and if you click on that link and use it to sign up for Cash App, you'll get five bucks free just for signing up. We'll get five bucks as well. So that'll be cool. You'll get $5 for free and you'll help support the podcast. So I've got Cash App open and I'm adding $20 because I don't keep money on Cash App. And that's another reason I like Cash App is I can add money instantly and they'll let me spend that money, turn it into Bitcoin instantly. And most importantly, let me transfer it out of Cash App into my hardware wallet uh, without any waiting period at all instantly. So I've got the $20 already in my in my Cash App, and I'm going to click Buy Bitcoin, enter $20, click Confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 116303 sats at a price of $16,809.51, and that is going to bring our stack up to a grand total of 4 million. 640,579 Satoshis. Perhaps more importantly, that's going to lower our average cost basis another $355.63. If you've been following this podcast, you know we lowered our average cost basis by almost $2,000 in November and by almost $2,000 as well in September. And if that if we if if Bitcoin stays on sale and that trend continues, uh, we will have knocked our average cost basis below $30,000 uh, 
by the end of this year will be in the in the $20,000 range, which is still underwater. But if you believe like I believe that Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high, that each four-year cycle it's going to set a new all-time high, that that price is going to continue to go up and to the right, when Bitcoin recaptures its $69,000 all-time high or even higher, uh, anything below $69,000 is going to have been a good deal. And if Bitcoin does go to the moon one day, if Bitcoin hits that $1 million price target or even more, but just at $1 million, $1 million per coin, that stash would be worth $46,405.79. And there is no way you could not argue that $46,000 is not a significant return and a significant amount of money, regardless of what country you live in, whether you're and you know whether you're living in poverty in the United States or in another country or whether you're living in a McMansion on the beach in South Florida or next door to Sam Bankman-Fried in the Bahamas, $46,000 is still a significant amount of money. All right, real quick, I wanted to reach out to you and ask you to follow us on Twitter. My Twitter handle, our Twitter handle is at BTC Bulletin Pod. And uh, more importantly than just following us on Twitter, I would like to hear what you have to say. I'd like to hear your feedback on the podcast, what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, and you can DM us or comment on one or more of our posts. Or if you're not on Twitter, you can also contact us by email, and my email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. That's bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. There is a lot more to talk about out there. However, it is late in the afternoon and I have to get back to working on that studio and a few other errands that I need to get taken care of. Um, and quite frankly, uh, the news is all pretty much either hype or boring. <laughs> there seems to be no in-between at the moment. All that really matters is that you keep adding to that stack that you end today with more Satoshis than you started with. And along those lines, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday for our DCA DCA Wednesday episodes. But until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.